0: Hello everybody, welcome to the Brokenness to Faith podcast. My name is Noah and I'll be your host for today's episode. Uh, real quick, the usual business, um, you can follow us on Instagram at brokenness underscore to underscore faith. Uh, me and Mark have been a little bit better recently with uh, posting stuff and keeping that up to date, um, so if you want to see what we're doing and uh, stay up to date on any announcements or new episodes you can follow us there or you can um, if you want to get in touch with us you can send us an email at brokenness 2 faith at gmail.com um, you can ask us any questions give us any suggestions feedback complaints comments concerns whatever it is you can get in touch with us that way and we will be sure to uh, respond uh, so that's that uh, nothing too much for today so that let's hop into it um, so recently I've been reading through Judges and the book is filled with just so many phenomenal stories, <laughs> uh, from crazy stuff to action-packed stuff to some funny stuff, and there's just so much in there to talk about or to turn into messages or, or podcast episodes, And um, but there's one particular story or a, a piece of a story that I want to focus in on because it really jumped out to me, and it made my sermon writing brain kind of kick into overdrive, thinking about how this could apply to our to our lives today. And it's found in Judges chapter 5. I'll, I'll start by reading the, the few verses, um, and then I'll provide some context. or I'll, I'll do context first, then I'll read the verses, and then we'll get into uh, what I think we can pull out of it. So in Judges chapter 5 is the story of Deborah, and she was one of the judges that God rose up, in Israel, and as with most judges, there was um, hostile enemies attacking Israel, and they needed uh, deliverance. So God rose up this judge Deborah to help deliver Israel into victory, and and so they're they're fighting these enemies, and their king, his name is Sisera, and eventually Deborah defeats the king and his army, but the king manages to escape. So he goes on the run, trying to get away from this army, and try to reach safety. And this is where we pick up in verses 24, chapter 5. I'll go ahead and read it. Uh, Most blessed blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Hebar the Kenite, most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. <laughs> um, it's, it's a little bit graphic, but basically the king, Cicera, is on the run. He comes across this tent owned by J.L. He goes inside, she gives him some milk, and then when he's either asleep or distracted, she takes a tent peg and a hammer and strikes it into his temple, killing him instantly. And that's it. <laughs> uh, the The chapter ends after that. The, a few more um, verses talking about kind of the aftermath. But this is what I want to focus on, these three verses and, and J.L.'s story. Because I think, you know, we can pull out a lot of things that we can apply today. And and you might be thinking, how? <laughs> what what can we get out of a, uh, this person using a tent peg to kill a king? Uh, you'll be surprised. Um, there's three particular areas. uh that I think can be used practically today and I'll go through each of them and yeah we'll see what we can get out of it. Um, the first thing that I think is important is location. Now the Bible doesn't tell us specifically where Jael's tent is but we can assume that wherever she was was the right place to be. You know, she was in the path of the king. You know, she probably was close to wherever the battle took place. She was Wherever she was, she was in the path of the king. Uh, More importantly, she was at her tent. She could have been out collecting water. She could have been out doing some kind of errands, but she was there to receive the king into her tent. Now, why does this matter, right? Why do I bring this up? Well, because location matters as Christians in two senses of that word. One, physically where we are matters. Whether it's our day-to-day whereabouts, such as are we going to church as often as we can and obviously things happen you might have work issues or family things that come up but if your church has say you know a, a weekend service and a midweek service and a Bible study then we should be making an effort to be at all of those if we can now if your church like the one I go to has three services You don't have to be at every one of those three services if it's the same service. But if there's different midweek services or Bible study groups, we should be making an effort to be there. Why? Because we don't know when the king, if you will, with air quotes, is going to walk into our tent. And if we're in the wrong place or we're not at our tent when that happens, then we're going to miss out. We're going to miss out on, on the opportunity to do what God wants us to do. And so our physical location on a day-to-day scale matters, but in a grander scheme, it also matters, right? For example, I've been in Phoenix for the past uh, year or so for school. Uh, Most of you probably know that's why you've been doing, me and Mark have been doing separate episodes, and I believe that this is where I'm supposed to be. But if I did not believe it was where I was supposed to be, then I should try to rectify that because if I'm not where God wants me to be, if I'm not in the right location that i might miss out on something that he has for me and and the second thing i i think we can look at location is our spiritual location you know where are we in terms of our walk with god are we in a place where we are in his word and we are experiencing him and we are worshiping on a day-to-day basis or are we kind of lost in in the desert or you know somewhere else other than there you know, are we spiritually in the presence of God as often as we can, you know, because that will matter. When we're talking about seizing opportunities, which is what this portion of the passage is all about, then we need to be in the right location spiritually. We need to be in a place where we can be in the presence of God as often as we can, so that if there is something he wants us to do, we are ready to do it. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, how do I know I'm in the right spot? Well, I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I, I can't tell you where the right place is for you to be because it's going to be different for each person, right? Not everybody needs to be in the same physical location as I am or the same spiritual location as I am. All I can really tell tell you is that we just need to keep seeking God despite where we feel spiritually or where we are physically. And hope and have faith that god will show us where he wants us to be or assume that where we are is okay with what god wants as long as we're doing what the bible says and we're you know doing as much as we can that's sometimes all we can do and we just have to kind of patiently wait while staying busy if that makes sense but i want to move on to the the second thing that i see in this passage and i already mentioned it right this these few verses are all about opportunity, right? When the king came into Jael's tent, she took the opportunity to kill him. She knew that this man was an enemy of Israel. Uh, She knew that this man was somebody that God was against, and she took the opportunity that was presented her, right? Now, for us, it might not look quite the same way. Like You might not need to keep a a tent peg on you because you might have to jam it into somebody's temple. But we in that same kind of sense, we don't know what will enter our tent at any given point in time, right? If we can assume that we're in the right location and that we're spiritually and physically where God wants us to be to the best of our ability to know where that is, then we have to be ready for whatever comes into our tent. Because if we're where God wants us to be, then he's going to use us. He's going to do something with us. And we don't know what that is. We don't know when that's going to be. And we have to be ready. We have to be prepared and equipped for when something comes into our tent. Because if JL had let the king leave, he might have gone away. He might have, you know, gone back to where it's safe. He could have come back and fought Israel even longer and more people could have died. It could have been far worse for Israel had the king not been killed in this moment. And similarly, we don't know what's going to come into our tent, whether it's an opportunity to evangelize to somebody or pray for somebody or maybe receive something yourself, maybe receive an answer to prayer or a blessing from somebody else that we could miss if we're not prepared for it, if we're not looking for it, if we're not ready to act when that opportunity comes our way. And again, I can apply this to really any number of scenarios. It could be a problem that you've been dealing with and an opportunity arises to fix it, but we're not ready for it. Or, you know, whatever the case is. We need to, metaphorically speaking, always have our tent peg at the ready to jam into somebody's temple. <laughs> if, if the opportunity arises, if, if that situation presents itself, we need to be ready and not miss it. Um, a few scriptures on this. Ephesians 5, 15-21. So be careful to live your life wisely, not foolishly. Take advantage of every opportunity because these are evil times. Because of this, do not be ignorant, but understand the Lord's will. Do not get drunk on wine, which produces depravity. Instead, be filled with the Spirit in the following ways. Speak to each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music to the Lord in your hearts. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and submit to each other out of respect for christ right there paul gives us three things we can be doing to stay prepared really i mean you could look at it as four the the first thing is he says don't get drunk on wine now that doesn't mean you can't drink alcohol but we should never allow ourselves to get to the point where we are no longer alert where we're no longer in control of our actions because it leads to depravity secondly we should be speaking to each other other's psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. I, I, you know, and he goes on to say, sing and make music to the Lord in our hearts. The way I look at that is, if we're talking to people, especially other Christians, but just in general, it should always be from a place of love and scripturally sound words and you know, worship, and even in our own lives, it should always kind of center around the scripture. Secondly, he says, give thanks. Obviously, we should be doing that all the time. And thirdly, submit to each other out of respect for Christ. Um, Paul goes on to talk about submitting in in marriages and things like that. So if you want more context on that, you can read uh, the rest of Ephesians 5. But the way I I think it applies in this case is that we should not be too quick to challenge people or allow ourselves to get too angry or become unforgiving in that way. And doing all these things allows us to be in a position where we can, as he says in verse 16, take advantage of every opportunity. If we allow ourselves to get drunk and lose our conscious control, if we allow ourselves to depart from scripture, if we stop giving thanks, if we don't submit, all these things can pull us out of a position where we can act, where we can take opportunities and do something with them and not allow ourselves to miss out on what God has for us or potentially opportunities for god to use us in somebody else's life secondly we see in first peter chapter 3 verse 15 but sanctify christ as lord in your hearts always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you yet with gentleness and reverence and we see him say that you know we have to be ready to make a defense because again at any point somebody could walk into our tent and say hey why are you a Christian? Or, hey, can you answer this question for me? And if we're not prepared to seize that opportunity, that person will walk out of our tent, and we might never see them again, we might never get a chance to talk to them again, and they might never speak up again. And so it's important that we are preparing ourselves for whatever opportunity comes our way. Now, we can do this by surrounding ourselves with godly people who can encourage us, and who can teach us, and who can correct us. Uh, We can do this by reading scripture and, and memorizing scriptures and learning it more. Um, we can do this by being in mindsets of prayer throughout the day. There's any number of ways that we can be equipped. And I think the easiest way to do this is just start reading this, the scripture. And in doing so, you'll be challenged, you'll, you'll grow, you'll be corrected, and you'll start to see, okay, what do I need to do to be an equipped Christian, to be somebody that is ready to seize the opportunities that come my way. Because I guarantee you, they will come, right? There will be people who come into your tent. There will be opportunities that come by. And we don't want to be Christians that pass up on what God has for us because we're ill-equipped or because we are unsure or or whatever. It's important that we are prepared. And the last thing I want to focus on here, and I'll spend my time here as we close, is in the, the passage here, uh, verse twenty four, J- Jl, excuse me, Jl is called a the blessed of women, most blessed of women, and again she's later called blessed of tent dwelling women, and this is kind of interesting. I didn't think about this when I first uh, read these passages, but I went and read some commentaries, and, and this point was brought up, and I find it all the more fascinating and important for today's uh, society. And it can be broken down into two parts. First is the blessed, right? Jael is called blessed. Now you might think, well, why is this a big deal? She did what God wanted her to do. Well, this is a, a, a big deal because at the time in Judean culture, it was considered a, a massive cultural wrong, almost like a, an 11th or 12th commandment of the Bible to murder a guest. Now, today, we think that's common sense, right? Like, yeah, you don't, you know, kill people in general. But at the time of in Judea, murder wasn't necessarily as uncommon as it would be today or as frowned upon as it is today in the sense that, you know, you could kill somebody and nobody would really be able to stop you and they wouldn't be able to catch you or anything like that, right? Like, it was a different time where conflict and fighting was More commonplace. However, if somebody was a guest in your home, despite what issues you might have with them, it was considered unthinkable to harm that person when they're a guest in your home. Yet here we see JL do just that. The king is a guest in her home and she kills him. Not to mention it was a king, right? Like this guy was the king of a nation. And for him to be a guest in your home and to kill him was like, the greatest offense and cultural wrong that you could do at this time, yet she's called blessed. I saw one person say this, her obedience to God was greater than her obedience to tradition or custom. And, and that's just as true today for us as it was for JL at this time. We need to be more obedient to what God says than to our society, our tradition, our customs, our culture even if it means doing something that is considered wrong or offensive within the eyes of society if it means obeying god then that's what we need to do and similarly there might be something that society and and custom says to do that the bible says don't do and we need to be able to put god first and obey god first and then we can obey the rules of society as they see fit. And that's exactly what J.L. did. She obeyed the will of God first and foremost and put her obedience to customs secondary to that. If it were the other way around, then she would have treated the guests kindly, she would have taken care of the king, and she would have allowed him to leave and go on to do whatever he would have done. But she took the opportunity and said... I have to obey God first and foremost and not let this opportunity that he has given me be wasted because I don't fully obey him, and she she acted. Now, that's not to say that we have to completely cut ties with society or culture. So long as it doesn't interfere with the word of God, then it's okay. It's It's fine. Especially if you're in foreign places or places with unfamiliar culture, it's important to adapt and to be respectful, again, so long as it doesn't interfere with the Word of God. And then the the second part of this phrase that's used to describe Jael, she's called the blessed woman. And the Bible makes it a point to clarify that Jael was a woman. Now, why does this matter? Why is this important? Why am I bringing it up? Well, because the Bible is showing us that the glory of the kill, right, of taking out this king went to a female. And in the time that this was written, this was a big deal, <laughs> right? For a female to be the one to kill the king and take the glory of that kill for herself was considered incredibly wrong and disgraceful and, and, and not okay. Now in today's society obviously things are different and, and we might not think the same way, but for them this was a major, major disgrace. Even earlier in the book, uh, in Judges five, we see Deborah talk about uh, uh or rather prophesy that the glory will go to the hands of a female when she's talking to one of a, a male general. And and she's almost kind of rebuking the general in a sense, saying, like, Look, like, you're not gonna get the glory for this battle because it's not about that. And so rather than God giving it to this guy, he gave it to a female. Now, how does this apply in today's day, right? What, what does this matter for us today? Well, I think it's easy for us, not just as Christians, but just as people, to discount somebody because of external features or, or even internal features. Um, you know, but that's not the case within the Bible, because J.L. is not the only case, at least in Judges, of somebody that society would cast aside that God used. I mean, you have the case of Gideon just a few chapters later. He was the weakest of his tribe, and yet God used him for great things. In, in, later on in the New Testament, you have Timothy. Uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness youthfulness but rather in speech conduct love faith and purity show yourself an example for those who believe and this applies i think today almost as much as anything else i've said so far and that is is that especially as christians but just as people in general we need to be willing to accept those in society that we might have negative perceptions of in the case of J.L., it was because she was a woman. In the case of Timothy, it was because he was young. And today, it might be similar reasons. It might be because you're deemed too old to serve God. You might be too young. You might be a man, a woman. You might be uh, different ethnicities, different races, different whatever. The case is, it can be easy for us as people to throw aside certain individuals Because they don't fit our own perceptions and our own perspectives. Or because they don't fit what we think the Bible is looking for or or whatever the case is. And this can be wrong for many reasons that I I don't want to spend too much time on. But one, we see God uses all kinds of people, right? He uses Jael, He uses Gideon. He uses Moses who had uh, speech impediments. He uses, you know... Abraham, who was a landless nobody, you know, he uses Timothy. He uses Paul, who was a murderer and a persecutor. I mean, he uses all kinds of people that we would look at today and think, really? <laughs> you want to use this person? And it's important that we are not becoming too judgmental and too quick to judge people and cast them aside. And, and James talks about this as well. We'll talk about showing partiality and, and favoritism towards people. And he says... Look, you know, if if you give certain preference to the rich man but not the poor man, that's no good. Like you're you're just as guilty yourself of of sins and of of wrongdoing as any other sinner, you know, when when you do that. And and again, this might look different today with our own societal norms and 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 what we deem normal, but it's important that we kind of take a step back and look in the mirror and say, hey, am I treating somebody differently or discounting their ability to serve God because of their external appearances or their uh, gender, race, ethnicity, age, things like that? Or am I somebody who is willing to hear out what these people have to say and give them a chance? Now, that's not to say that everybody is fit for ministry or evangelism or discipleship or whatever right? We all have different fruits and different talents, but it's important that we are at least willing to give people the chance and that we're not too quick to, you know, write them off because of those issues. And similarly, maybe you're somebody who is in that position where you feel like you're not given a fair chance because of that. And all I can say is just be patient. And like Paul says to Timothy, let your speech, your love, your faith, you know, be an example. And in time, people will recognize that. If you stay the path, stay with, with what God wants, then you can show these people how how and why they're wrong. And eventually the opportunity, much like with JL, will come. You know, I guarantee you JL was not thinking, I'm going to kill a king this, this morning, but the opportunity came and she took it. And you might be thinking, man, God, I'm never going to get the chance to preach. Or to to share my faith, or to start this ministry that I want to start, but the fact is, it could be any day now that that person, that or rather that opportunity, will walk into your tent. You know, it could be years, it could be days, but we need to be prepared for when it does, so that we don't miss it. It's moments like this when I'm reading the Bible that I often wonder: Was there somebody before JL that we don't hear about? <laughs> like, was there another tent? that the king walked into, stayed for a night, and left before he came to J.L.'s tent? I, I don't think so, but it's entirely plausible that there was somebody else who had the opportunity to be that person, but they didn't take it, and the opportunity went to J.L., you know. And and I guess in closing, my encouragement is, is that let's not be people who, are, who never get to seize the opportunities that God has for us, we might not be famous or or ever receive the credit that we're due but that doesn't matter you know what matters is that we did what god wanted that we can get to heaven and have him say you did what i asked you to do good job my servant you know and and that to me is is reward enough <laughs> you know even if our names are never recorded or anything like that we just need to be prepared the importance is that we are constantly prepared for what will come into our lives any day you know most days will just be born days nothing will happen but you never know when that day is going to come where God calls on you to go talk to somebody or gives you the opportunity to achieve a goal of yours or a dream of yours and we don't want to be people who give up on that who fail to see the opportunity So I I give you this challenge as my last thought. Let's be Christians who, when something comes into our tent, we can grab our stakes and our hammers, and we can stab that opportunity right in the temple. (laughs) Let's be Christians who are, are in a a positive sense, are aggressive and are, are seizing opportunities and are not allowing things to just pass by because of our own insecurities, or because of our own self-doubts, or because of, of what society might think or say. Let's be people and Christians who can seize opportunity and be equipped and prepared and in the right place to handle those opportunities when they arise. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll catch you in the next one.